Hello, everybody. Welcome to Unrefined Women Podcast. I am your co-host, Margaret. And my other co-host, Agnes, is not here for the introduction, but she will be here in just a moment for today's episode. Today, Agnes and I are speaking with our friend, Chris, who we actually got connected with on TikTok. Shout out to TikTok. And listeners, actually, if any of you are on TikTok, please go and follow Chris. He has really, really great content around deconstructing Christianity and toxic masculinity. So his uh, page on TikTok is called Uppercase Named. And it's spelled exactly like how it sounds. And he actually shares with us in the episode how he came up with that name. And I was shocked. There's a whole backstory to it. Anyway, Chris uses he, them pronouns. And he grew up in the Seattle area and spent a lot of time in church and studying the Bible in his early teens and eventually became a youth pastor. Chris left the church in his early 30s after more study led them to a place where they could not believe the practices and traditions that were happening there. Chris is committed to relearning, to think for himself, and has spent a lot of time studying the history of the Christian church, as well as how it has affected American society. As they have dug into their own trauma, Chris has been seeing the effects of toxic masculinity in his own life and learning how to address it within himself and the ones around him. They are a huge nerd and loves movies, cooking, and reading. Agnes and I were so honored that Chris agreed to come on and speak with us. As I mentioned before, we got connected with him on TikTok, and I have just been a distant admirer of his videos for several months now. I think that you, the listeners, are really going to kind of get the same feeling from Chris, but I just really resonated with how grounded he is, and he's just gone through so much in his life, and like I'm just I have such a warm place in my heart for him and just all of his beautiful wisdom that he's gained from his lived experiences and all of the profound work that he's doing within himself around deconstructing Christianity and just examining toxic masculinity as it's so prevalent in our patriarchal society. Thank you for joining us and we hope you enjoy listening to this conversation with Chris as much as we enjoyed having it. Welcome, Chris. Thanks for being here. We're going to just pretend we weren't all talking for half an hour. <laughs> Sounds good. <laughs> so, Chris, so. why don't you go ahead and share with our listeners just a little bit about you and, uh, yeah, who you're all about. Um, yeah, so my name is Chris, and I am a um, dad of two kids and a uh, boy and a girl, and I grew up in the church. Um in the Protestant Christian church and um, was pretty, I don't know, grew up in a way that was like, I didn't really ever commit myself to, to my faith until I was like 17, but I grew up in the church. We were there um, most holidays, most, you know, at least once a week. And um, in doing that, like I didn't really ever have any interest in, um, didn't have any interest in, I don't know. I just didn't really think about, being a part of a religion it was just kind of what I was I remember one day I was I want to say it was in the fifth grade and um somebody asked me what religion I was <laughs> and I didn't know and I saw somebody pray and I was like there and and I said well you're praying what are you and she's like I'm Catholic and I was like well that's not the right answer I don't know what I am though 
and and I they're like, well, what kind of church do you go to? I was like, I don't know. It has Jesus. And then I they were like, oh, then you're a Christian. I was like, oh, I didn't know that's what I was. Okay, so I I didn't it didn't really take until I was quite a bit older. But after my parents divorced, I started uh, going to um, going to a church with a friend, and um, we met in high school. And he invited me to a summer camp, and um, I really liked it. I met some girl there that I was instantly instantly infatuated with and probably she was the main reason I kept going to church after that um but um I think it was it was probably 18 17 eight, so I was 17 years old and it was at winter camp where I decided to um uh give my life to God and became a Christian and I think I got baptized the next summer and um, at that point, like I was really, I was really into it and church was, I loved it. I had friends. Um, and I had, when I was in, when my parents divorced, um, kind of more out of, I think a necessity to keep her, you know, her children close. My mom decided to homeschool my brother and I, and I have a younger brother. And, um, so when I was in two weeks into my uh, sophomore year of high school, I decided that I didn't want to be homeschooled anymore. I wanted to actually go and um, have some friends and try and go into public school. And so I did. Um, and after spending three and a half years in, in homeschooling, where my only classmate was my brother, I had no social skills. And it was very like challenging going into school. And so I was very happy by the time I had, I got to my senior year that nobody knew I had been homeschooled. So I spent most of my free time with friends from church and um, doing church events, um, Wednesday night youth group and working with the youth group, the junior high youth group, until I decided I wanted to be a youth pastor and um, what ended up living in um, uh, I live in Washington, but I lived in Eastern, I moved over to Eastern Washington and worked for a church over there as their youth pastor for, I want to say three, three and a half, four years, something like that. And, um, in the process, I, um, started kind of pen palling with someone via MySpace and ended up, um, really liking her. And we eventually got, um, I went over to visit her, came back over to the Seattle area and started dating at the time and then kind of long or long distance dated for just a bit and um, moved back over here eventually and eventually got engaged, then got unengaged, then got re-engaged way too soon and uh, got married um, in nine weeks of dating. And, um, then we, two weeks before our wedding, uh, we had, we had committed to not having sex before we got married, but we did. And, uh, three weeks or three weeks, three days into our honeymoon, uh, we discovered that she was pregnant and that was my son. And so eventually we kind of went through, um, a lot of 
rough time as a married couple and we were kind of committed to we were, we were committed to church we helped plant a big mega church um but um i don't think either one of us are really prepared for marriage in a healthy way and so we got um we separated uh after kind of a real messy situation and um as we tried to kind of fix it it wasn't really getting all that fixed and in the process um was kind of for me when i began I, i'd been i guess technically deconstructing for a while and trying to understand what it was that i had grown up believing but when that happened it kind of piled on a lot um with a lot of the interactions i'd had with some of the pastors that i was attempting to talk with and um at that point um I didn't feel welcome in church anymore and I didn't feel like I had a place anymore. And it was always kind of the place I had been safe. Um, and I'd grown up like, like from 17 till 34, like fun activities for me were breaking out my, my Bible concordance and my Bible and studying and trying to, you know, study the Greek and read as many commentary books as I could find. Like, and I look back at it now and I'm just like, Oh, but but it also gave me a lot of good knowledge. And one of the churches that I had been at towards the end of, of my time in church, one of the, the pastor's big thing was, you know, do the research for yourself, study it yourself. Don't let someone tell you what to believe, find out what it says for yourself. And so I was constantly doing that. And, um, that was kind of the more I learned about, the religion, the Bible, um, our belief system in God, the more I got to a point where I was just like, I'm doing everything they're telling me to do. And I can't believe this anymore. Like I can't believe this in with good conscience. And so now, like, I think a lot about that in the sense that my, my kids are, are being raised, you know, partially in the church. And that's kind of a terrifying experience. Um, having, excuse me, um, having not a full say on how that interaction happens. Um, but so now I think what a lot of where I stand is seeing what has happened with the, maybe what once was good intentions with the church. And I feel like now is really, really harmful to a pretty severe degree, um, for, because of because of my views, what was really harmful to me as a man. But now as I'm kind of getting to look outside myself more, seeing how it's just often extremely harmful to, I feel like just about everybody who's, who has been raised in church. I, I hear, I mean, I know there's people who are still in church and they love it. And as long as they're happy, I guess that's kind of the most important thing, but I find church to be a very traumatic experience. So I have to say, I do understand a lot um how you were homeschooled and you went into high school because I had the same experience and I started going to Catholic school my sophomore year of high school um so that was definitely a huge transition and once I was um, deconstructing from religion I also experienced how you explained like feeling comfortable in church to then not feeling like welcome and I, I feel like for myself, that was probably one of the most hurtful parts of um, deconstructing from religion. And, 
you know, losing your friends and losing that sense of value and family. Um, so yeah, I, that's like definitely what, what to my part is one of the most painful parts of deconstructing. And, um, hearing from you, I feel like there's a huge pattern in, uh, people who, who are told to study the Bible and find out that information for themselves and for them to do that for years, five, 10, 20 years. And then eventually they hit a point where they're like, is this like, is it, is, is what I'm being taught true? And to really start questioning um, the things that you have been studying for however long. So how was that for you? Like when, when, when did you hit that realization where you feel like the things that you were studying and the, the, the religion you were involved, involved in wasn't um, what you thought it was? Um, I, there was, there was a couple points. So like when I was being homeschooled, one of our, one of our, I would, I would say subjects we studied, but like, it was kind of a shit show. <laughs> I can relate. For, for my brother <laughs> I can relate. I. Yeah. <laughs> like, like it's, it's, it's funny because homeschooling itself, like I had always been told like a, a, a kid who's homeschooled, like has so many advantages because they get to have one-on-one -on -one focus. And I guess theoretically that can be possible and that can be true. But when the person teaching you has no formal education to get you past anything past like third grade math, <laughs> yeah. it's like, maybe we shouldn't be doing this. <laughs> but yeah, <laughs> um, but so we were like, I remember this one day and we were reading through the Psalms and I even even once I like even once I I was in my own faith and had my own belief system, I never liked reading the Psalms because I was just like, I, I'm not... I, there are these songs that that I know we're supposed to love because there a lot of them are praise to God or 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 songs to God and poems to God and about how God's greatness and the pain that we're going through and how we should identify because we as humans go through pain. But I was like, God, like a lot of these are just like, just the writer is just sucking up to God, like, oh, you're so great, you're so awesome, like, and I was just like, but if God's awesome, doesn't He just know He's awesome? Like, oh yeah, do we really need to like keep like, and I remember finally, like I was, I was there and my mom, we were living with my grandma at the time and we like, I, I, this is, this is right after my parents' divorce. And so there was, I'm, you know, there was a lot going on with me emotionally being, you know, 13 years old and whatnot. But I just remember saying to my mom, I was like, mom, like, why are we reading this? It's just David sucking up to God. And she's like, no, like she was very upset that I said that. <laughs> And I was like, but it is like literally like just read this and, you know, like and I was like, God's life is or David's life is awful. And he's just telling God how great he is. Like he's just trying to like ignore the fact that his life is awful. And so that was, I think, one of the first probably I think there was others, but I think that was one of the first distinct memories that I have of just being like, this is kind of weird. Mm -hmm. Like this seems odd to me. And I know there's cultural and con contextual things that I'm, I'm not, I wasn't aware of at the time, but there's also still a part where um, kind of as I continue to grow, like as a, as a teen, like my, my views on God was how God relates to us as a father. And my dad, I've done, I've made a couple of videos on this. Uh, my dad's gay. And so at the time when I had these very, very conservative beliefs, like, that was a really traumatic thing for me 
uh, having that my dad left. And then in my mind, he decided to go be gay. Um, and that wasn't the case, but my 13 year old mind couldn't comprehend that based on everything that I had been raised to believe. Um, and so that was so, so, but so my view of like a heavenly father, a good, you know, God as, as a, as a dad figure or Abba meaning father, like it was just kind of weird because I was like, there's, I, I don't like my dad and God is saying that he's my father and my perception of father is not good. Um, so that was, that kind of like was really, really challenging me for me to work through in my faith at the time. But then as, um, sorry, I feel like this is a really long answer. Um, <laughs> but, um, when I, but, but where I think probably the next big shift happened for me was when I was a dad and I started reading some of those passages that God, God wrote to us, um, as, as his children, as a dad. And, and I, some of them started to make more sense. And I was like, Oh, like this is, this is, you know, unending love. Okay. Like, cool. Like I get that. But, but as I was kind of reading through it, um, and, and, where my views had kind of started to change in regards to the shifting of, of fatherhood from me looking at myself as the son to, you know, as a son, uh, and God as my father, uh, when my son was born, um, things started to shift. But I, when I was after, after I had had this conversation with a pastor and I had told him, like, I was like, I am, I'm trying everything I can um, to, to do what I'm supposed to do here. Um, I was, I was in a really bad place and I started thinking about like, what if, what if this was like how somebody was interacting with my son? And then, um, this verse kind of came to mind, um, Isaiah 64, um, uh, chapter 64, verse four. Um, but we are as, un uh, we are as an unclean thing. And all our righteousness are as filthy rags. All we do is fade as uh, as a leaf, and our iniquities, like the wind, have taken us away. And I just thought about that, like in the context of my own son. Like all all our greatest deeds are but filthy rags. Um, maybe this isn't fully the right verse, um, but but there's there's the verse where it talks about like our greatest deeds are but filthy rags, like. And, and I thought about that in, in regards to like my son, like as a dad, like I would never say something like that to him. Like, you know, Hey son, like, I know you think you did a really good job, but remember your greatest deeds are filthy rags. And like, I think growing up in the church, like, especially like the way I did, like I pretty much like once I was really in my faith, like I, I felt shitty about myself all the time which is how at least it sounds like a lot of churches like to keep their, their followers is, you know, if you're not feeling like shit, you're not doing it right. Yeah. And for me, like, I just thought like, like, and I'd, I'd struggled with thoughts of suicide throughout my life. Um, constantly depressed. Um, I remember, I think, I think honestly, I think depression is just partially genetic here of, of, but I remember even from I, I've I've had the feeling of constant, you know, 
a constant sadness since I was probably like five or six years old. And so just thinking about having, you know, if, if in, in, in church, we had kind of always learned that the Bible was God's love letter to us. And I just, it really changed my perception when I thought like, would I ever say this to my son? Like, it doesn't mean that my son might not need correction with something. It doesn't mean that I don't need to say, Hey, we got to figure out how to do this differently. But when I realized I was like, I would never say this to my son. I would never say his, his best attempt at something was garbage. And so for me, that was, that was a huge moment in like turning where I was like, I still believe that the Bible is true, but also the Bible says this and I can't like, I can't rectify these two things. And so for me, like that was a big moment where I was just like, I don't, I don't know what to do now because I still believe the Bible is God's word, but I'm also like seeing like how shitty God's word is. And that was, that was a big turning point for me that, that kind of, I think that was just before the moment I stepped over and was like, I, I can't do this anymore. Wow. I love how like you really talked about how, you know, because in the Christian religion, like we're taught and in Catholicism, we are too, to a degree about how God is like our heavenly father. And, you know, you were having a rocky relationship with your dad too at the time. And then to become a father yourself and, and look at your child and be like, well, would I be saying these things to my child? No. Um, I just, I resonate with that so much too, because I think, I think I struggled a lot with the whole concept of God being our heavenly father, because our father was not a very loving person. Um, you know, and, and Agnes and I don't have a relationship with him anymore. Um, and he was just very, very abusive towards our mother and towards us. And, and it was like, if, if this is fatherly love, I, I, don't, I don't want any of that. <laughs> I've got enough of that going on here and it doesn't feel very good. Mm-hmm. Um, and then too, like, something that that really um i struggled with and i and i wonder i'm curious your perspective with the christian church but in catholicism you know there's just this constant threat of hell that you know god loves you but if you do this if you do this or this or this and all these very trivial things he's going to throw you into hellfire forever and it's like this is this is love like i think it really fucked up my idea of what love is um what was your relationship with that like you know with with you know God being the I, heavenly father and, and all that. I think like I, it was there, but I, th- I think it was like, it's, it's funny. I think hearing now, like, like people who like ex Catholics, ex Jehovah's witnesses, ex Mormons, ex Christians, like, um, you know, when I was a Christian, we were always told like how, like, we're all drastically different and they're all like, we're all different. We're nothing, we're nothing like them. Oh, their their religion, you know, well, they might have Jesus, but it's different in this and that. And it's funny in deconstruction now, like, I'm just like, geez, like we are so similar. We have mm-hmm. so many similarities that the same threats, they might've been phrased differently. They might've been worded differently. Um, But, and so even as you asked that question, I was like, no, like, you know, no, like we knew that once we were saved, we were, we were good to go. It was then just a matter about living out a good life. But then I remembered consistently pastors saying like, but the question you have to ask yourself is, are you really saved? Oh, 
Ooh, so you'd be ooh, like, I was like, oh, yeah. Whereas like, oh, that's good. Like, I don't have to worry about whether I'm going or do I have to worry about if I'm still going to hell. And, and, you know, and that was, that was like, I, I can, I can say that I probably had five or six very clear moments in my, in my life as a Christian where I was like, I'm certain I'll be in heaven. And the rest of it's like, shit, like, I hope I'm doing the right thing today. <laughs> and I swear a lot. I'm really sorry if that's going to be. Um, oh no, we swear anyways. all the time. Go for okay, it. Okay, <laughs> good. Okay. Um, but but so I think like, it, in some senses, it see it from from what I've heard. I feel like cat Catholicism might be more direct about what they're saying in some senses, because I feel like like Christianity, at least for us, like like until you literally asked me that, I was like, no, they didn't. And then I'm like, no, that's the exact same question. It's just phrased differently. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's yeah, because I, th- I think for us, like it was constantly, you know, well, you know, it's not by faith alone that you're saved. It's you know, it's not by grace alone that you're saved. It's also by your works. Like so your works reflecting that you really love Jesus. Are you really sharing the gospel enough? Are you really witnessing to people? Are you you know, are you really out there, you know, promoting the name of Jesus? Are you being a good minister for him? And, you know, so I think it was constantly like. I, I think I think hell was secondary probably to feeling like if I was doing a good enough job, um, mm. you know, which was traumatizing because now I'm just like, I'm pretty sure I'll never do a good enough job at anything. Yep. <laughs> I remember that phase too. Like, I, so like I was homeschooled my entire life. I never went to school. Like, you know how you and Agnes did go to school some to, you know, for some years. And um, I think it was high school. Mom gave me this like big, like thick Catholic religion book and was like, you know, read that book and I'll give you an A for religion class or something. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, quality homeschooling right there. And I just remember reading this book and it was like almost like this rule book of all the things you can and can't do. And I was like, you know, and a teenager and I remember reading in there that if you even think about another person naked or even think a sexual thought about another person it's a mortal sin you know and here I am going through puberty and I'm like well right. might as well just give up now I'm going to hell <laughs> but yeah it's just um I can't remember where I was going with that but it's you just yeah you get to that feeling of just like there's nothing I can do I can I can try my damnedest that I can do my best every single day and I'm still gonna fall short well, and and at least in, in Christianity, that's that's a big component component of it is, you know, like you'd you'd make a good Christian like you, you recognize that you can't do it. And that's why you need Jesus like and and that and I there was parts of me like when I would hear that, it's like, you know, that's why you need Jesus. And I was like, OK, well, like at least I know I don't have to be perfect, but you still had to shoot for it like there was still no amount of giving up you could do to where it's just like this constant state of feeling completely inferior to and, and incapable. And, you know, it's, it, it was, it's just an awful experience to put a human being like, you'll never ever be good enough, yeah. you know, for, for you're lucky that God loves you. Mm. Like it is only by his grace that, that you're loved. Yeah. Do you feel that you experienced shame a lot? Like that, emo- that the emotion shame when you were oh, God, between like yeah. 17 and 35? 
Yeah, I mean, I think I think I experienced shame consistently. Like mm-hmm. so, like the way the way we grew up. I remember one day we were going to buy a fish, and uh, we we're at the pet store, and um, and and one of the things like I struggle with a lot right now is knowing that like my parents were raised in a way that was horrifyingly toxic and terrible and and in some senses I know that they were just trying to do the best they could yet there's also like elements of it where I'm like you're still like it's you were still responsible to do more and and I don't know how I I fit those two things together but so like my my mom had been sexually abused and so she was a single mom at this point um her husband had in her mind gone off to go be gay and so she was now having to have like any form of the birds and the bees talk with my brother and I she was having to deal with you know all those things that I think stereotypically we've thought like that's a dad job you know that's a dad conversation um with boys at least and I remember one day we were in the parking lot we were going to go buy this pet fish and um she asked me and I wish I could remember how I was yeah I mean I was at least 13 and she asked uh she asked me if there was any girls at my school I liked and I remember just for some reason feeling like I should say no to that because I think the conversation like like was anytime we'd ever had any conversation about the opposite sex like it was always kind of framed in this very uncomfortable light of like we're going to talk about something you know really sensitive and really you know uncomfortable and this and that and I don't want you to feel uncomfortable which instantly put me in a place of feeling uncomfortable yeah Um, (laughs) but she asked me this and I was like I did like there was this girl I had a crush on from kindergarten you know up until like the fifth grade when we moved and but I was like no because it was like I just felt weird about it like and I felt embarrassed that I I had that and then even you know um like and I think because my mom was worried that my brother and I would grow up and turn out like our dad she would then periodically have these conversations that were like like I never got I never got a legitimate birds and the bees talk you know I never got a sex talk from from either of my parents um I this is kind of a weird thing to share so I don't even know if I should I know you can do the editing um but it's also like this is kind of like one of the more traumatic things like my mom said to uh my brother and I and I didn't know for years what she was talking about but she was referencing masturbation and she and it was just using terms that were very very vague and very like like to the point where I, I think when this happened, I think I like that I was probably 13 or 14 when she had this conversation with me. But I remember her saying this and I was even even at that point, like I was still pretty sheltered. So that was, I'm sure, part of it. But I was like, I had no idea what she was talking about. And she made a reference and said, you know, like, well, there's this thing that you do that you can it can happen by yourself. But like you shouldn't 
be, you know, like she just couldn't even get the words. And I'm sure it was super uncomfortable for her to have to talk to her, you know, her teenage boys about this. But I also think like it was like that was an important conversation probably to be able to have and figure out how to have. Mm -hmm. And she was like, so if you do, it's just don't do it in a circle with a bunch of other guys, which was Mm -hmm. like and, and I remember even at the time just being like. I don't know what you're talking about, but okay. Right? Yeah. And 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 it wasn't until yeah. I don't even I think I just had blocked that out until I was I was talking with my partner recently about something and I was like, oh my God, like that's what she meant. Mm. And like and it was just like why the why the fuck would you have like why why wouldn't you want to have like like say, hey, yep, this is a super uncomfortable conversation. But is it better for me to have a healthy conversation with my child? Mm-hmm. or have a really vague awkward like I'm like I don't know to me like that was borderline inappropriate like when you hadn't even had like a regular conversation and so for me like yeah. anything pertaining to my body sex um you know even often my feelings like there was a lot of shame attached mm-hmm. to it because um I think because nobody quite knew the best way to talk about it but also because it was just like like, well, I'm embarrassed of my body, so you must be embarrassed of your body, and you must be ashamed, and I feel shame, so let's just keep passing it down the line, kind of, with, like, no, like, like, no thought of, like, what this was doing, you know, to, you know, my brother, and I think with, with me being the oldest, like, I think I was the one who kind of got the brunt of those conversations, mm-hmm. um, but, like, shame uh, shame and guilt were like a constant thing within Christianity and then on top of it with just like you know anything that was you know possibly considered you know or could be sexual in nature yeah so even now at 37 like I'm still struggling with that I I mean I feel like I'm 30 years old and I just I, I'm still trying to unpack trauma around my sexuality and I kind of know that, unfortunately, I'm going to have to spend probably the rest of my life unpacking that because of all the shame that was put into my head around my body and around sexual desire and like masturbation too. Like I, I really have some serious trauma around masturbation and the way that my parents talked to me about it. Um, and it just it, sometimes I feel angry like I was like I like that was taken from me being able to. To, to enjoy my sexuality and not be constantly burdened with shame and and part of the reason why I asked the question about the sh- about shame too is because like studying social work and reading more about um, our, you know our psychology and and the way we work I mean shame is like a very dehabilitating emotion you know we mm. all experience shame in life but when we feel shame it actually causes us to shut down and not and, and it prevents us from doing anything um, and I just think it's so counterproductive for religious institutions to be using shame as a tool to try to convince a person to be better because right. our psychology says that you can't do that you can't do anything good when you're trapped in shame it actually keeps you stuck. It doesn't make you a better person at all. <laughs> yeah. No, I, 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 I mean, that that's, makes total sense. Like, I think that's one of the things, like, as I'm learning now, it's 
it's it's still traumatizing to me and I'm still there's definitely moments where I'm still very much stuck in it but even having with the little bit of freedom that I have from it from from where I was at five years ago is just like I mean it's like it's like a life it was has been like a life-altering experience to know that it's like it's not that I still don't have shame over things but I'm like you know I mean there's still plenty but but like having those moments of freedom from it is just like I don't have to be embarrassed about this I don't have to be ashamed about this and like when I can have those clear conscious thoughts of that mm-hmm. like it's just like this is amazing and I, I think about that eventually like as as those conversations like happen with you know with my own children like I don't want them to experience you know and I'm sure in some forms they will but like it, it is I, th- I think when at one point I was in couples counseling and a the the counselor asked he was like Chris if you were to use a word to describe yourself like what what would it be and I just remember I was like the only word that I would ever describe myself as incompetent mm. um, and I was like because I've literally like everything I've ever been and I didn't I didn't have a full recognition of of why I felt like that just it was just because I was a sinner um, and because I'm very likely have ADHD and there's a lot of things where my brain doesn't doesn't process in traditionally linear fashions um so i struggle i've had i've constantly struggled in school and a number of other things but but paired with like like the shame about my own existence in so many ways it was like yeah like i'm you know i'm incompetent i can't i've been told i have to do these things this is what makes me you know good and worthy in god's eyes and i'm not doing these things and so therefore like if I'm not doing these things is that because I don't really want to and if but I do want to and so it means I'm just not able to and if I'm not able to it means that I'm incompetent and you know where I'm supposed to love you know bask in the love and and you know of Jesus I just bask in the fact that I can't do anything that I want to do the right way Mm. Agnes were you going to say something yeah um how is your relationship with your parents now um with my dad um we so towards so my dad things are overall a lot better now um they're i mean they're they're really good um he's um i spent five years not talking to him um due to some things that I needed to work out. Um, but a lot of it was basically, I guess my perceptions of him. Um, and I said, I said some things to him and his partner that I don't think I intended to be mean, but they were not in love Mm. and they were not kind. And so Um, but after feeling like he didn't respond the way I thought he should have to them, um, I decided to cut off communication. Um, and so he, so my son is eight now and he met his grandson for the first time, uh, three years ago. And same with my, my daughter, because I, I held them away from him and his partner because I was 
really angry about a lot of stuff about like his upbringing or his upbringing of my brother and I and how like how he wasn't there uh, for us um, in in a lot of ways and they're like and and the older we got like the more he was trying to be there but like there was a time when he he just he wasn't there kind of a lot right afterwards and when I started to learn more of what had happened with that with their with my my parents divorce um and I found out kind of like where he was struggling to figure out who he was um as a person that he'd always you know he, he'd done many attempts of of the going to going to various like getaways to pray the gay away type of thing and um you know he had gone to get help and I'm you know and and it wasn't working for him um that it made like he was trying to figure out who he was and so there was a point at the beginning um and it's hard because there's a lot of the stuff I don't remember so a lot of this is kind of trying to remember what he has told me um versus you know and then alongside like what my mom told me um but when when we finally when I I did reach out to him and his partner and I apologized for what had happened um for the things that I had said to them um we got to reconnect and we kind of got to to talk about things and I think it was the first time I felt like I'd had a conversation with my dad as an adult um where I had a kind of a, a more well-rounded view of things and I got to experience it like his side of of the story but also it was weird kind of cross-referencing his experiences as coming out as a gay man to my experiences coming out within the church um because at this point I hadn't fully like left the church but I was definitely in a place where I was like this is I don't know if I can I don't know if I still believe this um and so now like my dad and I talk regularly um and he's just he and his partner are incredibly supportive um they're very excited that I'm on a podcast (laughs) but um but like our our relationship has changed really drastically and he was actually the first um I want to say he was the first person it was on Christmas day and he was the first person I told that was just I like I was like I called him to wish him Merry Christmas and I did and I said hey I want to ask you something do you still believe in God and he's like I think so and he grew up Catholic as well he's um he grew up in um San Jose California and he's um Mexican and so like that was a big part of like like his his you know the culture of where he grew up was was that and so he moved to Seattle when he was 18 but um but when but we had this conversation and I said, you know, I asked him and he's like, yeah, I think, yeah, I do. Um, I think. And he asked me why. And I was like, I don't think I do anymore. Like, I don't think I can. And we, we talked for probably almost two hours and I just kind of, I think it was the first time I kind of got to lay out my, my reasoning and my logic for this, you know, and a lot of it was going through like biblical references and things like this. It was like, you know, based on the Bible, like I can't do this. Um, but so he's been 
really, really supportive. And like, we've gotten to have a lot of conversations where he's like, you know, like as, as a dad, you know, I wished I would have done these things and there was things I just didn't understand. And it was, he's, you know, there's, I think he at times definitely feels guilt over a lot of the things that happened when he and my mom first divorced. Um, but, but anyways, but things are as a whole, they're, they're good. And we're getting to talk and with my mom, it's, she's still very, very conservative. Um, and August of 2021, I wrote her a letter kind of lining, outlining the things that had happened growing up that I was like, you know what, like I've been sitting on this stuff and I need to talk to you about it. And I hope you'll want to listen. And so I sent her this letter and she responded and she told me like, she just felt awful for all these things that had happened. Um, and we, we talked for probably two hours where I was just like, you know, like this religion that you practice, like it has been, you know, harmful. And, and one of the things that was really hard for me about growing up with, with her was she spent a good portion of her life, um, in counseling, getting help. And it was tuning everything to a biblical, like her biblical view, biblical view of the world. And so I think it's hard because it's like, I know she wanted to get help, but I think looking at it now, like it is very, I don't know if it was more detrimental to her, but it was very like, I don't feel like it was really helpful. And it's, I guess, not my place to determine how someone else is as a person. But I think as this person's child, like it was really, I don't know, it was, it had a lot of kind of fucked up factors of it. And so we had this conversation and I kind of was hopeful um, but since then she's like never acknowledged anything that has happened. Um, this Christmas, uh, she called, uh, to say hi to the kids and, um, we just had a really, really negative interaction, um, because of, she wanted to relate something to my son and just told him this lie that was really stupid. Like it was just this really little thing, but, but for my, my son, he asked, he, I, I asked him afterwards cause I was having trouble letting it go. And I thought it's like, if he doesn't remember this, then, then I'll let it go. But I asked him and he did. And he's like, why did grandma do that? And I was like, dude, I, I don't really know. And so right now I don't, I don't know. I, right now I'm struggling to want to have a better relationship with her. Um, mm -hmm. because I felt like after I laid all this out in like a six page letter, and have kind of had no response in a beneficial way that it's to me kind of falls under the, you know, I told you this stuff and you chose to ignore it mm -hmm. and you get to do that if you want. But I also mm -hmm. then get to say like, I won't, I won't be a part of that. And I won't, I won't stand with that. So, mm. so we don't have a great relationship. Well, I think that's really powerful too. Like what you just said, like, you know, because it's setting a boundary like you know you you poured it all out in that letter and then for her to not respond appropriately or, or really acknowledge that I, th I think that's really powerful that you recognize that you then get to say I don't I don't get to I don't need to have this in my life you know 
if you're not willing to be there with me and be vulnerable and, and work through this. Agnes, were you going to say something? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, um, you said your piece. And from from what I'm hearing and my own situation with my parents, like sometimes, and just people in my family in general, like you just have to say what you need to do in order for you to heal or just have some sort of healing in your life. And the other person's reaction is, you know, completely out of your control. Um, but it, it really does make me happy, though, that you're able to now have the support from your father um, and you're able to, like, move on past that. Um, so in your life now, how has all of this, because a lot of the things that you talk about on TikTok is about around, like, masculinity and you having to really detox from um, the the grooming that you've had your entire life and around religion so how has that been for you and as a man and a father how like what what are the steps that you've taken or, or you wish to take in order to detox from that um i think i think like like a lot of it has really been just trying to kind of recognize like recognize what i believe like what i truly believe about something and then why mm -hmm. i believe it um because I, th I think like, and even still, like I still struggle with that a lot where it's like, I will see things, my brain jumps to my old train of thought because it's, it's, you know, it's where it's the paths that are most, most familiar. Mm -hmm. Um, but I think about like, like, I think one of the first things that like, I don't know, like as far as kind of deconstructing like the toxic masculinity like that's that's something that I've, I've definitely has been happening for a couple of years but I think honestly it wasn't really until I got on TikTok initially for the cat videos that, <laughs> let's um, be honest that's why we all initially joined was, TikTok right exactly like um but then I started like I think I stumbled onto a couple deconstruction videos and that kind of started broadening everything else out into into seeing like the toxic masculinity stuff and and seeing things that like i had never considered toxic masculinity i was like no, that's, there's nothing like it wasn't like i thought like oh there's nothing wrong with that it was like it's just boys will be boys kind of stuff mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. like and i remember i think one of the first conversations that i got into um and somebody made a video about an experience that they'd had leaving a gym and this woman uh, ran from him. And the the not all men comments were, uh, you know, quite a few not all men comments were in there. And I was like, yeah, like not all men do that. I, I and 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 so I was like trying to I was like, I wasn't brave enough to throw a not all men comment in there. But I was like trying to figure out because I had questions where I'm like, I hear what this man is sharing the experience he just witnessed a woman have. I'm trying to put these two pieces together. And so I asked, and I wish I could remember the question I asked, but I was, but, and I just kind of got reamed for it in the comment section. And it was like, it was embarrassing, but it was also like somewhat kind of educational as well. And, mm -hmm. and I think one of the comments was, I was like, what if, what if we don't know that these things are happening to women? Like, and this woman was like, how the fuck could you not know? Like, we've been saying this for years and years and years and years. And this was like some, I, I, I looked at her profile picture and I, I get, I think she was, 
I would guess she's probably in her late 50s. Mm-hmm. And she's just reaming me, like raking me over the coals for this. And I'm just kind of like, I don't feel like I deserve this. Like, I just asked a question. I was just trying to learn. And it was like, and initially I was like kind of upset about it because I'm like, I'm just trying to, I just asked a question. I'm just trying to learn this. But then I continued to scroll on and there was like five or six videos like this in a row that it was just like, holy shit. Like I never realized this. Like I was completely ignorant to the fact that these were things. And I think like I'd been, I'm, I'm six feet tall. Like I'm a big guy. I get where, you know, bald in a beard, like I get where I can look quite physically intimidating, but I'm generally like, I'm, I'm very soft spoken. I'm, you know, I don't think of myself as scary, but I also realize that somebody else could. And so when I started thinking about interactions that I had, like, I was like, holy shit, like, I'm a part of this, whether I want to be or not, but also like, I realized that like I have done things in my life that were intimidating to women. And I look back and I'm like, I really hope most of them were intentional. But I also think there's times where it's like, I knew that I like, you know, could use the ability to intimidate to do that. And now I look back at that and I'm just like, and I wasn't like trying, I don't know. I don't know. This is like, I feel really even just gross saying this, but it's like realizing that like things that I've contributed to and like how that has like how that, how that has hurt people. And I think like with like church, we were taught to like that that this was what being a man was that like like you know it was using your strength that god gave you using the power that god gave you and like and i remember in in a premarital session talking about how like they're like you know that was a wife's duty was you know sorry i'm i feel like i'm jumping all over um no no i i'm following this is this is great um, (laughs) but i i like feeling like we were told like you know one of the wife's duties was to fulfill her husband sexually and at this point like I was a little older where and I just remember being like okay I guess but also like I don't really want to be have my partner like I don't want my 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 wife to feel like she has to like that feels gross to me like that feels weird you know and and I remember hearing experiences of other couples where they're like, sometimes you just got to do it. And I'm just like, mm. but uh, meaning, sorry, speaking, speaking like the wife had said to me one time, she's like, sometimes with my husband, like, I don't want to, like, I went through some really terrible things, but that's just my job as a wife. Mm. And I'm just like, I knowing that, like, that that does not get me going mm-hmm. knowing that my partner is uh-huh. not engaged in this does is not something that i find to be like hey this is this is awesome she's not into it but i should <laughs> like 
Yeah. Like, yeah, exactly. Like, and, and so the, but, but the fact that biblically and according to the church, like I had full right to pursue that, like, and demand that basically, like growing up in it, like, I don't think I thought I fully thought about it to the full degree of them. Like, but to, because it was just like, I mean, I knew who I was. I knew that I was a gentle man and I wouldn't demand that but also there was a part where I'm like you know I'm kind of pissed like she doesn't want to and like I'm not going to go take that but that's my right and she's not doing this and so we're having marital problems when in reality I'm just like Jesus like that is so fucked up like that is like to even have that thought process that her body's mine like and and regardless and I'm not going to take it because that'd be mean but the fact that I'm even having thoughts that are saying like you know, that I'm upset that she doesn't mm-hmm. want to like, you know, and I think there's, you know, so I think like I, I had made a video where I talked about kind of like the, the mixed message where it's like you're, you know, I think I, I, I don't know. I hope there's a good, lot of good men out there who are trying to rectify the things that they were taught with the reality of what life is. But I think it's challenging because I think, in the brainwashing side of of the church like you're experiencing these things that you're told that this is right and it's from a god a good god who loves you all to the practicality of it being like but if i do what god told me is right and is good and loving like i feel creepy and weird like that's i don't know i mean i feel like that's just so extremely harmful to women but to men in the sense that like i feel like men have been told that they're not that men aren't important because we as humans are all important but i think we've been we've been told we're in this position of authority over another human being that we shouldn't be Mm -hmm. and and so that was a thing for me like trying to like how do i get my wife to submit to me while i should be a man worthy of her wanting to submit and and i guess like there's at face value that might seem okay but the fact that we're even talking about one human submitting to another human mm-hmm. is hugely problematic and the fact okay. that it's something that that I don't know how it works in the catholic church but in the christian church that is still widely preached and is still completely socially acceptable in the catholic church i i have family members that are still in very deep in the Catholic religion and they, they still believe that openly that, you know, the woman, it's the woman's job to submit to the husband in all aspects, especially sexually. Yeah. And I feel like what I'm, what I'm hearing too from you, Chris, as you're sharing this is as, as a man, you know, you had all this, all this like misogyny kind of put into your brain from religion and and we get it from culture too it's not just religion it's everywhere Mm -hmm. and it's to me it's really sad because you know like Agnes and I are women so you know we we experience misogyny in one way but I see the men in my life whom I love experience misogyny in a way that's hurting them too And and I feel like I'm hearing this from you as well because like when you really think about that as 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 a man when you're basically told this woman is supposed to submit to you and meet your needs essentially what that's doing is it's turning the woman then into an object and if you think about um 
like our relationship with objects versus our relationship with other humans. When we have relationships with other humans, it's a it's a two way recipro- reciprocal um, experience. There's an exchange there. You know, I give and you give. There's this give and this take. There's this vulnerability flowing in both directions. There's this love and respect flowing in both directions. Um, when we have a relationship with an object, you know, with an item in my house, that object can't really give anything back. It's it, it, it's sort of a mm-hmm. one-sided, empty exchange. So it kind of like breaks my heart when I hear that. I'm like, wow, like men must feel really lonely to basically, it, it's they're, they're, the brains are getting rewired to this wife is essentially this object that's there to fulfill your needs. And I think there's just this the relationship gets lost there that beautiful connection from human to human then gets lost does that make sense I, that's that's i feel like what's coming yeah. to me right now no def- definitely like yeah and and i think i i 100 agree like i feel like um i feel like sorry i'm trying to put my thoughts together of course take your time yeah um I feel like what happens a lot is like, I don't know, like, so as a man, like, I feel like it's hard to talk about being on the side of feminism because, sorry, I'm struggling here, (laughs) Um, trying to trying to be vocal about the pain that I'm experiencing is challenging because men's, I I feel like the, the, the toxic masculinity that affects me still lets me be in a position of power and of leadership Mm -hmm. and of headship. Um, but there's also things that like, and, and so like something that I was, I was consistently told like as a married man was like if you're if something is wrong in your marriage it's your fault Mm. and there was definitely plenty of times like that was um sorry uh there's definitely plenty of times that that was true but i think there is also times where i'm like when when she was dealing with a matter that that was challenging for her like and I was trying to be supportive and say like, okay, like how can I help? How can I do this? Um, you know, what can I do to, to love you better? And we'd go into counseling or something and it would be like, well, the reason that she's unhappy, like that is your responsibility puts me, would put me in a place where I'm like, I don't, I don't know how to help. I don't know how to fix that. I don't know what to do. So, like you know and and when in reality like there were definitely some situations where it's like there was things that she had to figure out as an individual just like i had to figure out my things and to put my burdens on her even in even in a partnership of marriage was unfair um and vice versa it was hard because i feel like i couldn't I didn't know what the right answer was. And at least from like church leadership, more often than not, it was like, well, you're not doing a good job. You're not doing the right thing. And so I'm like, I'm in charge, but nothing's going the way. And I'm not allowed to make these decisions. 
and it's not working and I don't know what to do and I'm trying to be a good husband. And so it was, it was extremely challenging because I just didn't feel like there was necessarily a right answer. And I think it's because like it all started with like the, this idea of headship, Mm -hmm. like rather than partnership and, um, you know, like, like we weren't equals yeah. and I wasn't supposed to look at her like an equal and she was supposed to look at me like a loving authoritarian, but it, it's still an authoritarian. And, and, and it's funny too, because like, she was extremely good. Like she was extremely good at a lot of things. She was incredibly organized. She was driven. She was this, but I was still supposed to be the leader and I was still supposed to be the one to take charge. And I was still supposed to be the one to do all these things. And I'm like, those aren't my strengths. Mm -hmm. And I, and it does make me wonder sometimes like what, what could have been if we could have been able to be ourselves rather than fit into like a gender role of, you know, what, what we were supposed to, you know, of, of what, what we were told to do. Um, but yeah, so I just, I feel like it, it is extremely harmful to men, but it looks very, very different because at the end of the day, hopefully not for a lot longer, but we're still in charge. We're still the bosses. We're still, you know, we're still stereotypically, you know, have all these things yet we're being hurt and I think we just, I mean, I think there's a lot of men who don't know it. And I, I, that's like, it's, it's really like, it makes me really angry, but it also makes me really sad. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like who could, what could our society be like if we could just be us rather than be, you know, who, who, who could I be if I was just Chris yeah. rather than who could I be if I was just man Chris? Like, well, what does male Chris look like? What does it look like to be a man and be Chris rather than just be me? Like the human that I am who has what, you know, some traits that are going to be considered masculine and some traits that are going to be considered feminine and just exist as my own person. Like outside of those, you know, what, what, you know, gender we have to be rather than just who we are. Mm. Oh my gosh, that's so beautiful. I'm like, I'm going to cry. <laughs> that's yeah, really, that was really, really well yeah, spoken. Yeah, gosh, like I just, oh my gosh, I like really, really feel that because I think that like, you're also just speaking to the pain that so many people are feeling right now just around like, like we're so pigeonholed into these binary boxes. And, and I think it's really prevalent in religion too. And and Agnes and I have experienced this, you know, Agnes with her sexual orientation and, and me with like my, my gender expression, just like we're so boxed into, this is your physical anatomy. Therefore you must be this, this, and this. And it's like, well, but, but I'm more than just that. Like, I'm not, I'm not just that, like I'm more, you know, and, and Mm. then we're expected to have these, these leadership roles or subservient roles based on this physical anatomy. And it's like, but we're more than that. We're so much more and so much more, um, so much more beautiful and so much more messy and so much more complex than just that. When I think, I think like, especially like with, with, children like up an upcoming generation of children like like because of at least for me like because of the way I was raised um 
my son wanted to take a dance class and instantly my brain was like nope <laughs> nope you know yeah. and and at this point like I was kind of far enough in my in in my deciding to to progress that like it happened and, and my body just clenched up and I was like if it makes you happy then I want you to get to do that yeah. like I want you to be mm-hmm. happy um I like working with my hands and so I periodically go through and like make bits of jewelry and things like that and that's something that I I like I've told that to people I was a meat cutter which is a good a good real manly job <laughs> and I was a meat cutter for for almost 10 years and somebody somebody made mention of of hobbies and I thought I was in a safe enough area to share that and I did and they're like <laughs> what you make jewelry oh gosh and it was like and it was like and at the, at that I was comfortable enough with them. I was like yeah cuz I like it oh okay <laughs> but it was like you know like like just such a such a little thing was was just this mm-hmm. like you know this like this guy was going to com- completely try and emasculate me over this. And I'm just like, I, and, and I, there have been plenty of things that I've said, like, I, I do this or I do this. And it's like, well, that's a girl thing or, and it's, and so it's like with my, with my kids, like I, I'm trying really hard to be like, like I have a pink t-shirt. My, it's my daughter's like, like she loves it when I wear my pink t-shirt <laughs> And, Aww. and, you know, I ask her, it's like, you know, what are your favorite colors? Pink and purple. It's like, okay. <laughs> and, you know, and, but then like, like, I don't know. And, and so it's, it's hard because I definitely see some of those still stereotypical gender norms that my kids have. But I also am seeing like things where like they're a little bit you know breaking out of those norms that I grew up with and like I love seeing that and you know I don't know I feel like I talked to them too much about it but like trying to like understand that it was like this isn't a boy thing or a girl thing this is a you thing like mm-hmm. if you like it that's the important thing like mm-hmm. you know but yeah I've experienced a little bit of that too with my son you know when he will take an interest in something that it has in the past been labeled as feminine and I've had that feeling too where like my body will kind of clench up like that and I'll kind of feel that like old programming trying to take over but I've also realized as well as I feel kind of you know sat with that that clenched feeling and tried to get to the root of that you know I can recognize it's my old programming but I've also realized that some of that comes from fear because I, I love my child and I know that the world can be a very cruel place. And I have this fear Mm. of, it sucks, but like I have this fear of like letting my child do something that he's naturally feels pulled to and it being accepted at home and celebrated, but then some person out in the world saying something to him and just breaking his heart. It's hard of like trying to create that space for our children to be authentic, but then also knowing the world is so cruel and can hurt them. Use that as a way to hurt them. And it's just, it's, it's, I don't know. It's, that's one of the shitty parts of being a parent in this world. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think like, I think that like, there's a lot where, I don't know, like I, I, with, 
with kids, like, I think that's one of the things that's very hard for me to, at times, like, rectify, where I feel like in the last few years, like, the concept of kindness has become... It's weird because I feel like, like, kindness wasn't something that I felt like we ever... I mean, you had kind people and you had people who, you know, people who were kind and people who weren't kind. But I feel like lately, like, that's something that's drastically shifted in the last four years is, like we're redefining kindness and not even redefining kindness. We are trying to work our way out of having to be kind. Not we all, all everybody, but is in like our culture has shifted so much where it's like we've polarized so much in the last four years and, and to, I don't know, like that, that, I feel like in some senses it's very much gotten reinforced the idea of like it's time to toughen up and like like I have a lot of family that are very much kind of right wing type you know side of the fence on everything and and seeing this like like it's just this like needless push against loving your neighbor mm. and 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 I feel like like as far as like things that were considered like manly like in some senses it's like certain certain parts of our culture it's like have doubled down on on being manly mm -hmm. and to like re-solidify and like re re you know double down and buckle down on our gender identities and what like like what it truly means to means to be a man and a woman and like have these just you know views and i just i don't know i just like like i think i think back to like i guess w where where i'm learning about toxic masculinity like for a really long time like i felt like my most valuable thing that i could provide was a paycheck mm. and um you know my my physical strength my you know like just just in a different sense like we were talking about earlier but i was just an object that did things kind of and I feel like, like with like the removal of gender norms, like I think, like I, I don't, I don't know where I'm, where I classify myself yet, because I kind of struggle with the idea of classifying. But like, I know that I'm male, but I don't go around like thinking about like as a man I do this. It's just much like like as a like re-identifying just as as a person, and I think like that has given me a lot more like freedom to like, it's not that I, I still don't struggle. I still struggle a lot with like what I feel like I should be doing. Um, but I feel like getting to identify outside of just being a man and getting to identify as just myself, like just as a human who experiences these things, like has been much more freeing and like like I don't know like more I feel much more peaceful than I have in a long time like again not that I'm not still struggling with all the things that I was before in a lot of ways but like knowing that like you know getting to a place where I recognize that like my identity isn't doesn't necessarily have to be caught up in what is deemed to be successful but just like I exist and I'm here and 
those two things alone make me worthy of, you know, getting to love and being loved and, you know, getting to live and being, you know, just getting to simply exist and, and try and enjoy my existence, you know, and, and learn from people around me and learn, you know, and, and teach my kids and learn from my kids. Like, but I feel like that's, I don't know, like that's a huge thing and it's freeing, but it's also like, it's kind of scary when you're, I think, I think that's one of the things that, that I feel like is holding a lot of, you know, men in place is like the fear of not knowing who you are anymore. Mm. But when I think about like a lot of men, like, and there's, there's like, there's some really great guys to follow on TikTok that have been like, they'll say stuff and I'm like, Oh my God, like I never thought about that. Or like, that is just like mind, you know, mind altering. Um, but like when we get to recognize that like our value isn't in just the, what we do, like not that our actions can't, can't and aren't important at times, but like our value is simply the fact that we are. But yeah, I think that's very much tied into like just a lot of like the capitalism mindsets we have too. You know, it's like we're, we're, it's like, we're running around like we're human doings when we're supposed to be human beings and our worth is so tied into what we do and not just celebrating who we are outside like outside of everything else you know so before we ask our fun questions do you mind sharing um where you are spiritually now and where like where are your thoughts after um deconstructing from the religion that you've always known um i think i think with um where i am now spiritually like i think that's kind of hard because i think growing up in the church there was so much attributed to um our your spiritual well-being in in a in the Christian sense of the word and in, in the Holy spirit in you know, that, so it's, it's honestly, it's, I think it's something that's kind of hard for me to translate into like using that word is, is still kind of really traumatic. Um, and it has mm -hmm. a lot of really negative associations. Um, mm -hmm. but I think like where, where I sit now is that like, did, have either of you see, watched um, Midnight Mass? Mm, I don't think so. It was on Netflix. Wait, is that a show? Um, it was a show. It was kind of a, a horror set on this island. You know what? Someone told me about it, and, but I have not seen it. But you're like the second person I think that's mentioned it. So that, yeah. It's, it, was, it, was, it was quite, I don't know, I, I enjoyed it quite a bit. But there's a scene in it where they talk about, like, death and and like what happens to us and because we don't exactly know yeah. but they talk about this this idea that you know like our energy has always been and will always be and i think one of the things that has been really calming for me because the idea of heaven and hell like even though heaven's supposed to be great it always never sounded all that great mm -hmm. um mm -hmm. i think um um but this idea that like 
like we are a part of this you know you know not just this this bigger world that exists around us and and you know we have our you know parts that we get to do in it but even within the universe and just within like all of time is I think a really comforting feeling for me because I feel like I don't know like I feel like somehow or another like as the world seems to kind of balance itself out and you know we exist like I feel like there is peace in knowing that we are a part of this grand universe and it's like very interconnected and and I think within like deconstruction I feel like that's something that has been was shocking to me was always being told how different all the religions were and how many people have like I've gotten to connect with and not just talk about leaving religion but talk about life and love and the things that we get to do as humans um so I don't know if I have a a religious or a a a spiritual necessary belief at the moment but knowing that I think like we are a part of something that is like massive and grand and beautiful and Mm -hmm. complex like is weirdly way more comforting than I think I ever had when when I you know when I knew where my eternal soul was going when I died I think that's the perfect answer. Yeah, really. (laughs) I think, too, especially from all of us, you know, coming from these dogmatic religions, like, I think, um, I guess some people find, like, some sense of safety and security and, like, feeling so certain about what happens when you die. And I know for myself, and and I feel like I I was hearing this from you, too, Chris, it's almost like there's, there's this certain peace that comes with just going, I don't fucking know who the hell does, <laughs> you know, and, and I, and I yeah. want to believe and I, and I feel and hope that we're all, we're all connected and, you know, that we're all sort of infinite, but who knows, you know, and I, I, yeah, I, I've had the same experience. This just sort of, there's like a liberate, there's a liberation and a peace with that of just, I don't know, you know? Yeah. So well, um, Chris, anything else you would love to share before we jump into some fun questions to wrap us up? <laughs> um, I don't think I feel like I wish I would have asked you both more questions. Oh, no. Our um, listeners get to hear us ramble on all of our other episodes. Okay, so you're okay. good. <laughs> um, this was for you. <laughs> okay. Um, I don't think so. Um, I'm trying to think of. Yeah, I don't I don't think anything. All that, all that exciting. But if anybody wants to, I'm on TikTok. Oh yes, please. That's right. Thank you for reminding yeah. me. Can you share? Yeah, can you share your username with everyone? Uppercase named is my my. You can follow through any of the the chaos on it, there. Is so. there a story behind your username <laughs> on there? Um. Oh, it's so when when I was when I was in high school. Um, one of the things, and, and I guess this ties into a lot of kind of where, where for, for me, a good majority of Christianity, I felt like was very much like glorifying God and diminishing who you were as a person. And so for a really long time, like I spent as much time as I could trying to figure out how to like diminish 
who I was and glorify God. And one of the ways I would do it, like I refused to capitalize, it's stupid, but I refused to capitalize my name. Mm -hmm. Or when I would write I, I would write in a lowercase. And that way it was a reminder for me of how little I was and how good God was and how great God was. And um, it wasn't something that was ever promoted by the church or that I read. It was just in my mind, this was a good way to glorify God. And um, so when I decided to start doing a TikTok, like that was just, I've been trying to think of something cool and witty and then I came up with that and it was uppercase named. And so it was kind of, I don't know, That's it was kind of cool. a, it was kind of a like recognizing like this, is like I am important and I do, you know, like I might not have anything all that amazing to say at times, but like I'm valuable because I exist and I'm a person. And so Oh. that was that was uppercase name hell yeah so. i love that thank you for sharing that that's like really that's really yeah, cool no problem. That is. yeah all right time for fun but. stuff so chris all right. chris if you could have one superpower what would it be and why <laughs> i think probably I always would want to say like telekinesis, just moving everything with your mind, but I, I already struggle to be like productive. So I feel like that would be long-term bad. Um, honestly, I feel like, I feel like flying would be just spectacular. Just to be able to get up and away and just exist away from the world for a bit, I think would be amazing. That's so cool. I think you're the first guest that said flying, and that makes me excited because if I had to pick one, it would be flying too. So, yeah. Okay, cool. <laughs> Actually, Agnes, what would your superpower be? Because we, like, never share ours. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like it would have to be flying, so I agree with you. Flying, oh, yeah. look at us. Okay. Three flies. Okay. <laughs> That's good. All right, Chris, what's your favorite comfort food? I'm lactose intolerant, but it's ice cream. <laughs> oh, goodness. It's, it's, yeah, it's, it's definitely ice cream. Any specific flavor? Or sushi. Ooh, sushi's good. Um, sushi's, sushi's, yeah. Um, Ben and Jerry's give me s'mores. That's, Ooh. that's good stuff. It's seasonal, so. Actually. But it's, it's really good. Ben and Jerry's makes non-dairy ice cream and it's really good. So I recommend checking it out. I'll have to try that. Yeah. I will. I'll have. I don't get it too often, so it's one of those. I'm like, I'm going all out. I'm taking two laxatives, <laughs> two lactose pills. <laughs> Not those. Lacto. I'll take two lactose pills and I'll just go full bore into this thing. But <laughs> I love that. Well, that's what comfort food's so, for, right? <laughs> there you exactly. All right. And what's bringing you the most joy right now in your life? Um, I think overall, like on like these last couple of weeks have been just a really, really hard couple of weeks. Um, but even in that, like there is still, I think peace in just, I feel like I'm continuing to, as I continue to like learn more about myself and like learn about myself in like a true sense, not in a sense that I have to filter through something like, um, that like 
has brought me a lot of joy, especially in seeing like where I, where I have, excuse me, where I have consistently struggled with, with parenting my kids and getting to a place where I'm becoming a more gentle parent with my kids. Um, like, and being able to recognize it in the moment and like knowing that that's, you know, that those things are because like I'm doing the work, like I'm putting in effort to not be who I thought I had to be and getting to be who I am and who I want to be. Mm, that's a beautiful thing to so. find joy in. And then our last question, we gave this one to you in advance because it's a little more intense. <laughs> what are three songs that elicit the strongest emotions for you? Um, I am one of those people, I don't really listen to a lot of music. Oh, really? Um, <laughs> so I don't, I, I, I used to listen to a lot and I periodically do, but it's like, I listen to a lot of podcasts and audiobooks. Um, but I think one, I, I, so I was able to come up with two. Um, I think the song, uh, stand by me has always been like one of my all time favorite songs. I really like the Florence and the machine version. Um, and I think it's just like, that was one, like, like when, especially when I began my deconstruction and where I felt like my life was just kind of going to shit. Like, like I had a couple good people like who kind of stuck with me and, um, so that's, that song kind of holds a lot of significance and, um, the other one is, I can't remember who sings it. It was, I'll follow you into the dark. Um, and that one, I, I, when I was in my early twenties, my cousin wanted to play it at, uh, a school, like, evening performance and so she asked me to play the guitar and to learn it and <clears throat> even at the time like still fully in my faith I remember finding like incredible peace in this song that it was just about like you know I mean it was just going into nothing afterwards and just I don't know and it kind of I think kind of relates to the like I very much connected it with the 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 quote from from Midnight Mass where they talk about just the you know, what, what we will be and, you know, where we go and, you know, just being part of this greater and grander world. And so it's just a, it's a really sad song, but it's also a song that like, I've always just found to be like, kind of very like, you know, peace instilling. So. Mm. Well, thank you for sharing those with us. Yeah. All right, Agnes. And then our last thing, our gratitude prompt. Chris, what are you grateful for today? It's the toughest question. Um, I know. <laughs> it is. We do it at the end of all of our podcasts. We, we, everyone has to answer the question. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think what I'm probably most grateful for is, um, that for as much of, I think like, as I don't have control in the world, like there's things that I do and I get to choose, like I get to make choices about what, like, what I deem good and worthwhile and what's important. And I get to, you know, commit my energies to those things. 
Um, and I think grateful for the fact that like, I don't think I'm incompetent anymore. Um, that I'm, that I'm not who I was five years ago and that, that I won't necessarily be, I won't be this me in five years. Mm -hmm. So. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's a good one. And what about you, Margaret? What are you grateful for today? Um, I'm going to go simple today. I think today I'm actually just really grateful for TikTok because it allowed all of us to connect. And I love Aww. this conversation. And I'm just so grateful that we got connected with you, Chris. I'm really thankful for that as well. Agnes, what are you grateful for today? I am grateful for this morning and how we were able to have this conversation. Um, it's Sunday morning for us. So this is our church. <laughs> <laughs> yep. So I'm very grateful that this is my church now. Yeah. Absolutely. All right. We believe in the power of taking even one minute a day to breathe and find gratitude in the little things. Wherever you are, if you are able, close your eyes, take a deep breath in and out, and reflect on something that you are grateful for today. We are so honored that you could join us in this discussion today, and we hope you have a beautiful week. If you enjoyed today's Unrefined Woman podcast episode, please be sure to like, subscribe, and share. To check out other episodes, please visit our website at unrefinedwoman.com, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. To stay in the loop and receive access to additional content, please follow us on TikTok, username unrefinedwoman, and on Instagram at unrefinedwomanpodcasts. Special thanks to Walter Birdsong for the album cover, Margaret Rainey for our podcast music, Andrew Cioni for our gratitude prompt music, and Sean Butcher for editing and production. Thank you so much, and we'll see you next week.